1: Hey everybody, this is Evan Lazar and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by the CLMS Media Podcast Network. And I am joined today by Brad Kelly. But before we bring in Brad, I do need to shout out our sponsor at betonline.ag. Are we ready for some football? Brad, are you ready for some football? Absolutely. Some college football heading into the bowl season. And there are some big matchups this weekend. NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code thats 50 for your 50% welcome bonus. And now I'm going to bring in my guest, Brad Kelly. You all know him. I don't need no introductions. Brad, how you doing? Are you ready for some football, as it said I'm looking forward to some of these college games. I know we're not really looking forward to much of the NFL right now, but, uh, some of these college games this weekend might be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready. Thanks for having me on again. And, uh, the game I'm looking forward to most, I think everyone is, is Ohio State Clemson. You get yeah. Fields versus Lawrence too. It's probably going to be the playoff game that's entertaining. I think the other one might get a little out of hand. So that's the game probably of the year in college football I look forward to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's certainly dozens of players that Patriots yeah. fans can watch over the weekend in the college football playoff. It was disappointing to see Kyle Trask's performance last night, to say the least, for this on Thursday. I watched a good bit of that game last night, Florida-Oklahoma. And uh let's just say Kyle Trask went down a few rings in my uh, book as well from one performance. But I know he was without a lot of his playmakers, no Kyle Pitts. I don't think uh, Kadavius Tony played in that game either right so right. Uh, a, bun- a bunch of guys missing uh, for Kyle trash so that will be a different pod and uh, we are going to have Brad on all off season long to talk about the draft as well so i'm very much looking forward to that so we'll get into some of the draft stuff with Brad in the coming weeks but this week what we wanted to do was play a little game of patriots keepers and go through some of their free agents some of their future investments and see where we stand on all of these players and we're going to try to get to as many as we possibly Can So we're going to go a little bit more rapid fire with some of these. Some of them I'm sure we'll take a few minutes to talk about. And we want to start with uh, the free agent class, which is loaded with names. Uh, This is a pretty big free agent class across the league I would say and the Patriots are in pretty good shape with all the salary cap space that they do have but they have some of their own free agents that are going to be really important and the three guys I wanted to take out that we're not going to discuss at length are David Andrews, James White, and Lawrence Guy because I feel like we're all in consensus if you can bring those guys back without drastically overpaying them uh, then those are three guys that you want to have here as leaders of the team and and i think in lawrence guy's case probably the only good defensive lineman uh, that they have right now uh it's no offense to maybe adam butler who we're going to talk about in a few minutes here too who, who's pretty solid but other than than those guys uh we're, we're scratching it um uh, you know we're, we're searching we're searching and uh let's start with the free agents though we got to start with the quarterback, obviously, Cam Newton. Where do you stand right now, Brad, on bringing back Cam for 2021?
0: I think ultimately it's going to – unfortunately, free agency happens before the draft because ultimately I think it's going to come down to where are they able to get a quarterback and high in the NFL draft whether you right. want to bring back Cam or not. So I think where it stands, they're probably going to have a, a pick in the middle of the first round. They're going to realize, you know, we're not going to be in the range to take one of the three or four top quarterbacks, maybe we should bring Cam back, especially because he has a year in the offense. Um, he's, you know, uh, been up and down, but there have been some at least flashes. He's able to run the system. I think he has a really good, uh, relationship with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. If McDaniels returns, I think they're going to want him back on a reasonable deal, probably a one year low salary, one that he could be maybe he does start a few games, but realistically it's, it's more of a, uh, a bridge quarterback like the Ryan Fitzpatrick role or backup. And I think ultimately they're going to bring him back uh, based on that. If they had a, a, a top five pick and they were in position to get Zach Wilson or Trey Lance in the draft, maybe it's a little bit different, but position in the teens right now, I think they're going to end up bringing Cam back.
1: So if they do bring Cam back, my, my question for you is, do you think it matters that if they bring Cam back that they get a guy in the draft who can at least be a little bit dual threat because I, I think that this is a conversation a lot of Patriots fans have is do you really want a traditional pocket passer sitting behind Cam Newton for a year when the whole offense is running QB sweeps and power reads and stuff like that? And then you put in Kyle Trask, you know, I mean, is that really a, a problem to you? Cause to me, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, but it's something that I do think about. And you mentioned Trey Lance and that's what made me think about this is that if you could have a better transition from one one guy to the next it's you know Trey Lance is basically being touted as like you know FCS uh, Cam Newton right so it, I wonder if maybe that's a part of the conversation as well
0: I think there is something to having similar skill sets between your starting quarterback and your backup quarterback kind of the way the Ravens have Lamar Jackson and when he goes right. down it's Robert Griffin III I think there's something to that because it's more of a natural fit for each player and if you're going to have Cam Newton start for the first half of the season and then transition into a rookie, you don't want to drastically change the offense. So I think there is something to that, and there are guys available who will be available in the middle rounds who are who have that type of skill set. Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, if he comes out. Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. Jamie Newman from Wake Forest transfer to Georgia throughout the year. But all those guys are are big, strong quarterbacks who are dual-threat players. So there is something to that, especially if they end up taking a quarterback outside of round one.
1: Yeah, I agree there is something to that. And I'm not the biggest Trey Lance guy so far out of what I've seen. I mean, he's obviously super talented, uh, but his accuracy does worry me. But it, it is an intriguing option uh, to if they want to have a mobile quarterback, if they want to be an offense that's dual threat like that, to bring him in and put him with Cam as a mentor is pretty much as perfect as you can get in terms of a transition. I think with my whole stance on Cam, and obviously I think we're, we're both in agreement that paying him – on a one-year deal for very little money is really the only option here. No one's paying Cam $20 million next year to be the quarterback. I think that it's clear that, any quarterback improves with better weapons, right? Look at Tom Brady in 2019. He was uh, 28th out of 32 quarterbacks in completion percentage over expected Cam 28th out of 34 qualified quarterbacks this year. Basically the same in terms of a lot of their accuracy metrics. And we obviously know that Brady is now a top five quarterback in the league, again, in Tampa Bay or top eight or wherever you want to put him. Sorry, I know this is uh, not exactly what we want to be talking about right now. But with that being said, My biggest worry about Cam is that can the scope of their passing offense expand with him at quarterback and maybe a whole season off season in the playbook and, you know, everything kind of improving around him, they can open up the passing game a little bit more, but I just feel like they have had to simplify a lot of things in their, in their scheme and in their offense, not just because of cam, you know, a lot of it's because of the receivers too, and them being able to understand what they're supposed to be doing. But, is this match, like, it, it, can it work in that respect, right? And, and can they kind of become multiple again and, you know, multiple personnel groupings and, and stretch the field and uh, spread the field completely? I've seen a lot of half-field reads, you know. The option routes are basically out of the offense, I would say, for the most part, and everything's kind of locked um from what we know, at least obviously we don't know the play call, but you just don't see – Hoss-wide Juke anymore. You know, you just don't see these full field progressions as much, and I kind of am concerned if that is kind of stunting the growth of some of the other, um, you know, younger players that he's throwing the football to. I'm not as worried about the accuracy stuff and, and the mechanics and all that kind of thing because I think all of that would improve if he was throwing to better, you know, receivers around him. But in terms of the scope of the offense. I've, I've seen them really dumb it down to a point now where we're kind of at, you know, I, I've i seen college offense that run more, you know, complex passing games than what the Patriots are doing right now.
0: I think it definitely improved the scope of the passing offense when you get better weapons. If you look at Cam's best games, Seattle, uh, where he had a bunch of passing yards was Julian Edelman's best game of his career. And against Houston, uh, where he had a couple of deep balls caught was Demir birds, best game of his career. So when the weapons, play at a high level, his numbers skyrocket over 300 yards passing in each game. If they could get that, I mean, you're not going to get that every week, but on a more consistent basis, maybe it shows up more than twice a year that players have exceptional games. When you have better players, then that could be more of the norm. It's not going to be, you know, Cam's probably not if, say, you start 16 games, you would never – probably not throw for 4,000 yards, but at least throwing for 3,500 is right. a possibility if you have a better passing op- options at tight end and in your receiver depth chart.
1: I just don't want to see another season where Josh McDaniels is afraid to open it up, both in the red zone and in between the 20s, you know, and, and that's the thing that you, you're – you see with this offense right now and again it's not just the quarterback it's everybody but i think the quarterback shares in, in that as well and that is inside the five they don't want to throw the football You know, they don't want to throw the football down by the goal line. They don't want to open it up really on third down. They're running half field reads. They're running three guys on one side of the field. And and Cam just sort of, you know, read that one element of the field. And everything is super condensed. And a lot of that is because they don't have the speed to stretch the field and stretch the defenses and stretch zones and stuff like that. But I I wonder how – how complex, how broad can they make their passing game uh, with Cam as the quarterback? And I would worry more about that than than some of the other things that, you know, Patriots fans on Twitter screaming that he, you know, dirt throws every ball in the dirt or, or whatever. I mean, that's obviously just uh, ridiculous. All right, let, let's move on to the next guy here. Joe Tooney, uh, obviously free agent, played on the tag this year. Very good year again. I, I think that he went a little bit, under the radar even because it wasn't quite as dominant of a season maybe as last year, but uh, it's still a very, very good year for Joe Tooney. This is a difficult one because it's a player that you identified in the third round, developed into a pro bowl, all pro caliber player talent. And now he's going to be paid probably 15, 16 million uh, a year. If he gets to the open market, you have the money invested in Shaq Mason. We mentioned David Andrews off the top of the show as a free agent this one's a complex one, I think.
0: So I think what ultimately will come down to is do you bring back David Andrews or Joe Tooney and, and one or the other instead of both, I think ultimately it's going to be Andrews because it's going to be cheaper and they don't really have another starting uh, center option on the roster. Whereas I think they like, Michael on on at guard still, and he could probably play left guard at a very cheap price. And then you're figuring out right tackle, where on on has been playing between potentially Marcus Cannon coming back, Justin Heron, and Jermaine Illuminori kind of have like a three way battle over there. But because there's another starting option on a on a late round rookie deal that could play guard and you can bring back angels for a cheaper price at center, I think ultimately they're going to let Tooney walk. Now, like you said, he's a great player. He deserves the money. He's going to get paid. I just don't think New England's going to give it to him.
1: Right, and there's a lot of money invested in guard already with Shaq Mason's deal, which actually is getting more and more team-friendly by the year as we go along here. And Shaq Mason had a, another quietly really good season, especially as a run blocker. He's as dominant as he's ever been in that regard. And with Tooney, I I just it it stinks to see him go. I know a lot of people in the building speak very highly of his leadership and work ethic. He's not a loud leader, but he's a guy that's quiet and goes about his business and kind of just does things the right way and sets a great example. I do like the idea, though, of Michael Onwenu bumping inside. As much as I liked him at tackle at times this year, I think it's pretty clear with his foot speed and with his his size it's really not the most natural position for him to be playing out there so I move him inside you know find a replacement at right tackle for on when I, I think that that's probably the route that they end up going in as well but I was not expecting them to franchise tag Joe Tooney either so uh you know you never really know I guess and uh let, let's move on to this next one I, I think we were pretty clear on Tooney Adam Butler uh he had that streak of games against, what, Arizona and the Chargers and a couple games in there where he was an absolute wrecking crew, a force, a one-man wrecking crew, uh, didn't have a very good game against Buffalo, uh, jumped off sides a couple of times, although some of them those were close. What, what's your feeling on Butler? Because I think that he plays his role extremely well, but I'm not sure if his role is expanding much beyond what he's been able to do so far.
0: So Butler, the thing about him is he's only going to be 27 years old. It's not like Lawrence guy I think will be 31 by the time next season rolls around. So there is still a window of him to for a two- or three-year deal where he could play the entire deal and and probably still be effective. So I'm okay with bringing him back. I think as always it comes down to what the money is going to be. But like you said, he's not your ideal full-time starter at nose tackle, whereas in the past they've had kind of multiple options. where they had um, Mike Pennell, but they also brought in Adam Butler, and they would also bring in – I'm slipping my name, the Samoan guy. Oh, Danny Shelton. Uh, Danny Shelton. So, like, they'd also have a big rotation of it. So, Mm -hmm. I think that's where you want Adam Butler to be, but he right now is really the only good option you have. So, uh, if you can bring him back, you still have to kind of fortify that position and and reduce his role from what it is. But there is a window, like I said, with his age, that he could get a two- to three-year deal and still be effective.
1: Right, and, I, and that's what I wonder is if, if you're Adam Butler, and I know that he loves being in New England, but do you look to maybe go to a system that's looking for more of like a penetrating nose and a guy that you can kind of – See in every down roll for because in this off in this defense, excuse me, like you said, they want the, the Danny Sheltons. They want the, you know, the the big Ted Washington's like that. That's what Bill wants is that two gapping plugging nose tackle that's just going to sit right over the center and not get moved off the ball and let the entire run defense kind of go from there. The Patriots run that type of system. Adam Butler is more of that penetrating get off the ball, uses length, uses uh, his uh, first step explosiveness. Those are all great things and and we've seen him make splash plays in the run game behind the line of scrimmage but holding his gap and and standing up at the point of attack not exactly a strength of his and you look at sort of his uh, production though since week 12 uh, let's do some quick math here he's got 18 quarterback pressures in the last six games as an interior guy I mean that that's pretty darn good right? And and that's something that, uh, you know, we'd see every single week, whether it's him kind of, you know, getting in the way of a couple of defensive linemen to free up other guys on those stunts that they do. And he's kind of setting picks for other people or actually getting to the passer himself. Uh, he's an extremely effective player in their pass rushing schemes. Uh, I, as we've both been saying, it's just a question of, it, it. does Belichick see him ever evolving into sort of an every down player? And I think we're going to have a similar conversation in a little bit when we get to Dietrich you know, it's, they're kind of in a similar boat there as sort of these one dimensional, uh, defensive linemen. So I'm interested to see what Adam Butler can get on the open market because I think another team that has a different style, more of a penetrating one gapping scheme might say to themselves, okay, this is a guy that can play three downs for us. Whereas with the Patriots, maybe it's just a, you know, kind of a passing game type of situation. And they try to upgrade that run defender, that early down nose tackle in the draft or in free agency this off season. Uh, Let's talk about one of these weapons. And Demir Bird has had a very interesting season, I would say, because, he, I thought he played well early on in the year. I thought he played well for most of the season. The last couple of weeks, obviously, with the bad drop against Buffalo on the trick pass, it sort of waned a little bit. What are your feelings on him? Because I, do, I think the biggest question is, is is he enough of an upgrade over, let's say, like a Philip Dorsett, that you are willing to, you know, bring him back next season?
0: So, Demir Bird, like you said, I think he was actually really good early on in the season, getting open a lot and just not really getting the ball targeted. Uh, to him yeah. and his production wasn't huge, but it has popped, uh, kind of in the, in the middle of the season. It has, and this is actually his most productive year. Now, from his perspective, he's going to be 28 years old at the start of next season. He's coming off his most productive season. This is, and he's never had a big payday. This is kind of his opportunity, you would think, in the offseason to get a two year, four to five million dollar deal. I don't think New England is going to want to give him that because he is kind of in that range where If you do upgrade wide receiver in free agency from a player from another team or early on in the draft, he's now kind of your fourth to fifth option. And can you justify paying your fifth wide receiver option two million dollars? I don't, and I think if New England does bring him back, they're going to want to give him a contract that's easy to cut. Not a lot of dead money, not a lot of guaranteed money because he would likely be in a competition near the bottom of the roster. So. I don't think it's going to – I don't think that marriage works from Demir Bird's perspective. I wouldn't want to sign that type of deal. But from New England's perspective, that's the only type of deal I would want to bring him back on. So mm-hmm. I don't know if the marriage is going to work. He's been a solid player this year. I, just don't, I think the the, the time has just kind of run out on, on his time here.
1: Yeah, 46 catches for 597 yards, the one touchdown on the bomb uh, against Houston. But I felt like he was open more than that for touchdowns, especially early on in the season. I wonder – you know, sometimes when you see guys open deep like that and they don't get targeted, you sort of wonder maybe if it's like a catch point thing that the quarterback's not confident that he's going to, you know, kind of go up there and, and body somebody at the catch point at only 5'9", 180, and that's what he's listed at. I think he might even be smaller than that. That that might be a reason why Cam was a little bit reluctant in pulling the trigger sometimes down the field. Other times I think it was just, you know, Cam missing him and or, or not seeing him or it wasn't the first read in the progression or or something like that. I think he's done a really nice job, though, and, and I would be inclined to bring him back as well. In that Dorset type role, maybe as a little bit of an upgrade on Dorset, I think Demir Bird can do a little bit more. I think he's a little bit looser and can run a little bit more on the underneath patterns than a guy like Dorset could. Dorset was really a vertical receiver to me. I think Demir Bird can get open on a slant. He can run a shallow cross. You know, he can do some things that are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of an expanded route tree, I would say, than a guy like Dorset. So I do think they found what they wanted out of Demir Bird. He was just in the wrong spot in the pecking order uh, on the hierarchy of their depth chart. If he was their third guy on the depth chart and they had Jacoby Myers is a two or something like that and uh, a true number one, then I think we'd be having a different conversation in terms of Demir Bird's production. It would look great that that he had 46 catches and almost 600 yards. So uh, a very interesting One for him as well because I I am interested to see how much of the team values that specific role in their offense. And like you said, Brad, do they feel like they can get a guy for significantly cheaper to do, you know, relatively the same thing? And maybe they can, uh, but then I do think you were, you wonder if you run into more of like a Philip Dorsett situation where you kind of have a one trick pony at that position instead of somebody like Demir Bird who can maybe open it up just a, a tad more. Let's uh up next uh here, let's move on to one of the veteran players that uh really interests me this offseason if he's going to retire even is uh Jason McCourty, who uh I think Jason McCourty is uh some Patriots fans have definitely soured on him very quickly. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on him, Brad, but he's he's kinda serviceable, but he's obviously not an impact player.
0: So I think I would be in that camp that have kind of soured on him in the past year and really I don't think it's any fault of his own other than the fact that he's now I think 33 years old and for a lot of corners some corners retire at 31. Terrell, he was out of game at 31 years old. That's kind of what happens in the early 30s at the position. Last year he went from giving up zero touchdowns and less than 10 yards a catch to this year giving up 15 yards per catch and five touchdowns with no interceptions. So his production hasn't been there. He's been thrown into a few games uh, as a boundary starting corner role where, uh, because of injuries and that's been, that's a little unfair to him. He should be in more of a complementary role, probably maybe playing inside, kind of depending on the matchup if you get the particular matchup for him. But I think as far as you look at the depth of the, of the position with the Patriots, you, who knows what they do with Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, but even beyond them, you have Jonathan Jones, Miles Bryan has popped his own draft free agent rookie. I think as far as the depth goes, they can sustain the loss of Jason McCourty. I would want him to retire. I don't want him to play for another team because though he's only been there for three years, the fact that he's Devin's twin and it kind of feels like he's always, he's always kind of been a Patriot or a Patriot favorite. I don't want him to like play for another team. I'd well really rather see him retire and I can remember the fond days and that play in the Super Bowl and I don't have to see him play for the Jets next year on a, on a cheap deal.
1: Right and when you look at cornerbacks specifically I feel like when guys are in the vicinity of the pass but never actually breaking any passes up or intercepting any passes that usually hints to maybe they've lost a, a half a step. I, I don't think I think he can run with guys still but he just isn't making those kind of explosive finishes on the ball and, and that's something that I think that you look at and you say okay was he wasn't necessarily all you know ever a JC Jackson or Stefan Gilmore type that was always you know getting their hands on the football anyways but he was doing it more often than not earlier on in his career compared to what he's doing now so I think that that's where you can see a clear drop off is it with that uh, production as you mentioned just kind of waiting off and every time he's targeted it seems like he's in the area or he's in competitive position to be in co- in the coverage it's not like he's getting you know beat by 10 yards or anything like that but he's just not able to kind of finish the play at the catch point or or really you know, stave off the receiver when the ball is thrown his direction and quite the the way that you would like and I think that there's a really good chance and a good argument for playing uh Jawan Williams or a Miles Bryant and you have Jonathan Jones and Miles Bryant on the inside. And maybe Jawan Williams is a guy that can kind of wake up here uh, in year three of his career. Maybe not. Maybe he ends up busting. I think there's also a very good possibility that Bill Belichick addressed cornerback early in the draft, as much as that might hurt some Patriots fans that that's where we're headed. Just preparing you now, uh, especially if they trade Stefan Gilmore, I don't think that they're going to just kind of ignore that position altogether in free agency or in the draft and just sort of expect uh, J.C. Jackson and Jawan Williams and Miles Bryant and Jonathan Jones uh, amongst those that group. Really, Jones and Bryant are going to be inside guys. It really doesn't leave you a whole lot of depth at outside corner, and I I definitely think that there's going to be a pick or a free agent signing or something going on at that spot. And it does feel like Jason McCourty is going to be the odd man out, although you hope that it's a trade or it's a, you know, it's an agreed upon thing. He retires. Um, You you want to take care of a guy like that. Dietrich wise, this one I think is really interesting because there were times this season where he performed a lot better in run defense. And then there were times this season where it looked like the wild card round against uh, Tennessee last year, all over again.
0: Dietrich-wise is interesting because I loved him when he was a rookie. He had five sacks. He had two in the playoffs that year as well. So he went from having seven sacks over 19 games to over the last three years, he only has nine sacks in 47 games. So his, the sack production completely fell off. Part of that, I think, has to do with his playing time has been up and down. His this, The scheme that the Patriots run is not you know, pin your ears back and go get the quarterback, go hunt. So part of it is that, but I also think if you're, if you're kind of that one dimensional player on the defensive line, like how much can you justify, can a team justify paying you as a free agent? I really don't know the answer. And as you said, his strength should be in the running game. It's a 275 pound monster, huge feet, huge hands, great length. He's really stout in his lower body. But if it's, if that's not consistent. If that's not doing, you're not doing that well consistently, I don't know exactly where you fit then. So he's, just the up and down play from him has just been concerning and I, I think ultimately he's not a, he's not a physical presence you can replace, but his production wise is definitely a player you can replace in the draft.
1: Really streaky player. Like one week he looks like a guy that that's kind of coming into his own and might you know sort of take off, and other weeks he's getting pushed around. And I think that his height in a lot of ways works against him in in, in the run game, especially because his pad level gets a, a little bit higher and he's not unable to really get underneath guys and anchor. And that that's been something that I think he's worked hard on, but it just isn't natural for him with the type of body that he has, and and it's just not exactly what uh, he's used to doing either from just a physical standpoint but with that being said every year pff has him extremely high in like you know uh pass rush win rates and 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 production in terms of per snap basis in the pass rush and stuff like that and he's often one of the hardest guys to block in the pass rush on this team it it really has been since they drafted him so that that's another one like adam butler where I think we're going to learn a lot about how Bill Belichick views them in terms of their roles and in their futures in the NFL, if other teams can see them as sort of guys that fit better in their scheme as three-down players versus with the Patriots, where they're really only going to be pass rush players. And I really like Adam Butler. I like Dietrich Wise a little bit. But uh, both these guys, I think, point to the fact that the Patriots – defensive line is not where it needs to be right now and they have a lot of work to do up front and I would add to this, this next guy John Simon sort of into that equation as well as an edge defender as a place where they could really use an upgrade I would say
0: similar to Adam Butler uh, as John Simon and the fact that in his part in his role right now I don't know if he's fully capable of handling it last year when they had uh, a lot more depth at the edge in the linebacker kind of hybrid position with Kyle Van Noy and Aland Roberts and Jamie Collins. Uh, John Simon played less than 50% of the snaps. This year, he's now playing about 70% of the snaps on defense and his production hasn't gone up at all and I would say his play has slipped. Um, it, this is a starting, essentially starting edge player with Four quarterback hits and two sacks in a year. So the pass rush production just isn't there at all. And you see it on the film. He's not really getting off blocks at all. He's not pressuring the quarterback from the edge. And I don't know if he's a great coverage player. He's he's the, he is a veteran. He's smart. But I think ultimately, if, if you're signing him to be a seventy percent, seventy five percent of defensive snaps guy, he's he can he can be a liability at times if you reduce his role, similar to to the way they want to use Adam Butler, ideally, then he can be more effective. So it really depends. Are you able to find an upgrade in the draft? Is Josh Uche going to play more snaps on the edge? Is Chase Winovich going to not mysteriously disappear at times and be more of a full-time player on the edge? Then John Simon kind of fits better. But if you're not going to do that, then I don't really think that he's worth bringing back if he's going to be that full-time starter.
1: Right, and at that position, they want you to rush, cover, drop into coverage off the edge and set the edge of the defense. And that's what you're going to have to do as a 70% player at that position. It's really tough. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. And I, I think that John Simon does one of those things At a starter level, or maybe above replacement level, I should say, and that set the edge. The other two things: rushing the passer and dropping into coverage, not so much. But the problem that they've run into is that Chase Winovich and Josh Uche are not ready to be every-down players yet. So you're sort of caught with a bunch of one-dimensional guys. You know, Uche and Winovich are your ideal passing-downs players, but John Simon's better, more a bit more stouter at setting the edge. It's like if you combine those guys into one player then you have a great football player that's not how it works and I think the Patriots have run into problems this year with sort of constantly needing to mix and match, right, and, and rotate guys in and out of what's the situation, what's the down and distance, and that can work, and they've done that effectively in the past, but more, a lot more this season I was in in years in the past, teams have identified those types of players and said, okay, we know we have Simon out here, we know we have Winovich out here, and they've been able to take a little bit more advantage of those types of things. So he's had, in my mind, all the edge defenders have sort of had an underrated uh, bad year. I don't think it's been talked about enough, honestly, how much uh, they've given up on off-tackle runs this season. They are dead last in the league. I think they're giving up over 5.5 yards per carry on off-tackle runs this year. And that's something that I don't think we're talking about enough because Uche and Winovich and – these guys flash, you know, they flash productive pass rushing. it uh, can play well in space, uh, but they have not found a guy that can firmly set an edge and do a couple of the other things at least decently well, and that's not John Simon. Uh, so I think they're back to the drawing board at that edge position in a lot of ways and are kind of looking still, and we're going to talk about Winovich in this next segment, looking still for, you know, a guy that can do it all. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, who who can basically be on the field all the time. I, they haven't found one of those guys out of these last couple draft classes yet. So, I again, it, it wouldn't shock me if they if they take another guy, another line, you know, linebacker hybrid at some point in the draft and, and kind of add them to the pile as well. Because Anthony Jennings has not looked good at all uh, out there. I would say he's a rookie, so I don't want to you know give up on him quite yet. But that's a position that really needs to be better than, than it was this year. Significantly better, especially for the type of defense that they want to run against, against the run they want the setting the edge is basically the most important part of their run defense. And they have been terrible at it all year long. So that that's going to be a, a big one that I'm going to be monitoring. All right, let's get into some of these future investments as I'm calling them. These are guys that are under contract or not un, unrestricted free agents, like the group that we just talked about, but, have uncertain futures. So that, that's definitely the case. Let's start with the big name at the top. I think it's Stefan Gilmore is probably the biggest domino to fall this offseason. I put up those stats. I saw you uh, you saw them about J.C. Jackson with and without Stephon Gilmore. J.C. Jackson's numbers, uh, I believe it's 9.2 yards per target without Stefan Gilmore and 2.7 yards per target with Stephon Gilmore. So a big difference in production for J.C. when he has to go up to that number one cornerback spot. Now, granted, two of those games were against Stephon Diggs. He's one of the best receivers in the league. But Gilmore, don't take him for granted. I, he's as good as it gets at that position, and they need a guy like that if they're going to continue to run so much man coverage.
0: Listen, we need both of them. Uh, I shouldn't say we. The Patriots need both of them. It's not – here's the thing. Everything that we've talked about to this point, like, you know, setting the edge and, and allowing five yards per rush, all that type of stuff is, is great. It doesn't matter when you give up a sixty yard touchdown or a forty yard touchdown through the air. You know what I mean? You can't all that stuff matters obviously for a successful football team, but pass coverage and explosive passing plays is what is the is the number one weapon for an offense and for an offense and preventing it for a defense. So you can't have a corner out there that's a liability at all or safety when it comes to the passing game. And currently, when J.C. Jackson is the number one corner, he is a liability. When he's the number two corner, he's the best number two corner in football. Stefan Gilmore can handle those number one receivers. He's proven that for years and years now. You need both of them. They, they complement each other, and you stop explosive <laughs> passing plays, which is the most important part about playing defense. So if you're going to have success in the NFL, you need two legitimate starting boundary corners, and the Patriots have them, bring them back. I don't care what the price tag is.
1: I'm with you on this one 100%. I, I think that we overreacted a little bit as a, as Patriots cognoscenti, Patriots fans, Patriots media. We overreacted a little bit to J.C. Jackson's production in terms of when he's targeted in coverage. He has the lowest passer rating in the NFL when he's targeted in coverage since entering the league in 2018. That's a fact, the lowest passer rating in the league, and he has the second most interceptions in the league behind only Xavier Howard. Problem is, is that all of that, or not all of that, but a lot of that is because passes are getting funneled to his side of the field because nobody wants to throw at Stefan Gilmore and he's taking the number two guy and not the number one guy and he is a, he's a very, very good corner when it comes to shutting down those number two receivers. The, the other thing I think with JC is that uh, you see with Stefan Gilmore, a down-to-down consistency that J.C. just hasn't reached yet, where Gilmore is just in every single play. He's locked in every single play. J.C. Jackson... I think there were some times in that game on Monday night against Stefan Diggs where he had lapses in focus and in judgment too. But I think mostly uh, he sort of chalked it up to after the game, sort of looking at it himself and saying, you know, this is different when you go up and you cover the number one guy. You can't take a playoff because you take a playoff, it's a 50-yard touchdown. And, and I think that's the difference between being against the number ones and being against the number twos. I'm with you 100% that Stefan Gilmore – they need to find a way to make this work with Gilmore and have him finish out his career here with the Patriots and pair him with JC Jackson. And, uh, again, don't, don't shoot the messenger, but if they take another cornerback early in the draft, I, I think it's really, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. All right. Let, let's talk about Jared Stidham. Um, I, I don't want to talk to spend too much time on this, but let, let's just talk about it because I think the biggest question is, is with starter reps with the ones during the week and he goes into the game as the starter, you know, the whole trope, does he perform better than he does in mop-up duty in the second half when he's down three touchdowns and he's coming in for a bench Cam Newton?
0: Maybe. I mean, I would hope so, considering every time he comes off the bench, he's – not very good. He completes 50% of his passes and one out of every 10 throws is a pick. So I would imagine that he does, the numbers would be a little bit better, but ultimately, I don't think it matters. I don't think Jared Sinem is going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Watched him for two years as Auburn's starting quarterback. I didn't think he was an NFL player. I saw him at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. I was there live. I didn't think he was a great, a, a future starter in the NFL. I thought he was a a borderline backup. Just a few numbers about his time at Auburn. When you look at his draft class um, in two thousand nineteen compared to the top ten it was the top ten quarterbacks um, in the draft, the top ten drafted quarterbacks. On on 20 plus yard throws uh, his completion percentage was 23%. So that's not very good. That's actually terrible. And he had Darius Slayton, Giants wide receiver who's one of the best vertical threats in the NFL as his number one receiver. Over 27% of his passing yards came on throws behind the line of scrimmage. So over a quarter of his production came on screen, essentially. Against pressure was 47% uh, completion percentage. And on tight windows, it was 33% completion percentage. None of those metrics are any good. None of them are any good. And in that top 10, all of those was the worst. All of them. Every single one. 20 plus yard throws, tight window throws, and against pressure, and he had the most production on throws behind the line of scrimmage. So you really, you look at his tape out of college, and it's, it's happened in the NFL too with his really, really poor completion percentage. He just, it just doesn't have it. That's what the film at, when he was in college has said, that's what the film in the NFL has said. Maybe he get, maybe he's better when he's able to take starter reps and prepare like a starter, but even a little bit better than what he's showing right now is not starter quality. It's hardly backup quality.
1: Right. And I think the biggest thing is that we might've overrated that 2019 preseason a little bit, he was good against the Lions. That that was a good performance, but it, that was against the Lions third and fourth string players mostly. And, and he put some good balls out there and put some good tape out there. And I think everybody was like, oh, you know, this guy can throw. Uh, he's got a nice arm. He's got some good downfield ball placement in, on some of these throws. But really, look at that preseason. He took 10 sacks that preseason. He had six turnover-worthy plays. I don't know if he threw any. I think he threw one or two interceptions, and he had four on top of that that are uh, turnover-worthy by PFF. He's been a turnover over-prone sack machine pretty much his entire career whether it's in the preseason uh, in training camp when I see him at, at camp or in uh, these games that he gets in, in the regular season and then on top of all of that there were opportunities I thought to throw the ball down the field on Monday night against Buffalo where he looked a little bit trigger shot like he didn't want to rip it if you're gonna if your whole thing is that oh this guy's got real arm talent you know he can actually throw the football down the field and has a some juice and some zip on his passes but he's not willing to leave the pocket and then throw to Jacoby Myers who's wide open with his hands up in the air jumping up and down you know down the field while, while he's on the move and he said he takes a sack and we won't even get into the fact that he left a clean pocket on that play just after he left the pocket Jacoby Myers is open on his side of the field. It's not like we're asking him to make a cross field throw or something like that. It's on his side of the field. That's a throw that based off of everything that we've talked about, about his arm talent and his physical tools that Jared Stidham should be able to make and should be pulling the trigger on. If he does have the arm that everybody wants to tout him at have as having, and he didn't do it. And then I think there was a throw earlier in the game that worried me even more uh, was that throw to Jacoby Myers, uh, that Levi Wallace broke broke up, where Levi Wallace, if you watch it, is sitting on a dig route the entire play, literally from start to finish. He's got his inside shade to begin with, and then he's kind of creeping up. He doesn't even backpedal. You know, he doesn't even respect the fact that Jacoby Myers is going to get up the field, and Jared Siddham throws it anyway into the leverage and almost gets it picked off. And if you, been six the way. Yeah, and if you look at the other side of the field, Demir the Bird is – winning on a slant route or kind of like a glance route against an outside leverage quarter and just any sort of nuanced quarterback would have seen pre-snap that these two quarterback alignments, one is a good idea for me to throw at and one's a bad idea for me to throw at and sit them through at the bad one. And a lot of reads I think I get caught up in it too a lot. Of, a lot of the time of like reading coverage rotations and oh, you know he he read the safety rotation here and he hit the guy on you know against the rotation this that the other thing. Sometimes you just got to throw off leverage, right? And I think time and time again, Jared Stidham does not do that. I don't think he understands the concept of leverage and 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 where to throw the football in terms of you know ball placement, actual ball placement. We're not talking about catchable. We're talking about is it on the right hip or the left hip? Is it inside leveraged or outside leverage route, and that is time and time again why you see Jared Sim throw interceptions. Is not a lot of his interceptions are not boneheaded decisions where he's kind of chucking a ball up and and you know kind of arm punting it down the field. Most of his interceptions are the fact are because he's throwing the ball uh, poorly into an, a receiver that is either winning against leverage or not, and, and that's sort of a thing that. Uh, I don't know if you fix, you know, I I don't know if that's, that's immediately fixable. So I'm right there with you. I can't believe that we're even talking about Jared Stidham as a a future starter for the Patriots. I think this is a non-starter from, the beginning when they drafted him and I, I talked myself into because I always do this and we're going to talk about the next guy that I talked myself into a little bit as well and I always do this whenever Bill Belichick drafts somebody I say oh you know Bill must know something he must know something that we don't about this kid and I I knew I didn't like Jaredson from the beginning I should have stuck to my guns on that one and it frustrates me that I didn't because uh, he does not look like a starting quarterback in this league.
0: I, I mean, I completely agree. I just don't see it. I never saw it when he was at Auburn. I don't see it now. I didn't see it in the preseason yeah. training camp. It's just – it's a non-starter for me. I, I would – honestly, assuming they draft somebody, I don't even know if he's going to be on the roster next season. So, I don't –
1: That's been my whole thing all year is that, my, in my opinion, they should be – Bring back Cam on a cheap deal and upgrading the Jared Stidham aspect of this equation, not the Cam aspect. Like I think Cam is a fine bridge quarterback. What they need to do is get somebody that actually has some real upside and, and potential as his backup to be the next guy to to groom him into the next guy. So I would much rather see them do that than uh than you know spend some crazy money on Ryan Fitzpatrick or, or something like that in free agency. All right, let's do it. Right, we got to do it before <laughs> we sign off. Nikhil Harry, uh, you were making fun of my guy on Twitter yesterday. I, I appreciated the, the snark, but uh, it did hurt me a little bit on the inside. I'm not going to lie.
0: I wasn't making fun of you.
1: I know. No, no, no. That's, that, that, yeah, (laughs) let's make that clear. He's making, making fun of Nikhil, not, not me. Uh, I thought he was playing better there for a stretch. Rams game, Chargers game a little bit. I thought there was, there was some signs of life. Yeah. Monday night against Buffalo was bust Nikhil. That was the old Nikhil, slow, couldn't get out of a break to save his life. He was open on a few plays and no people are going to point it out. Oh, Cam, you know, missed him on that one before the half. And, uh, I don't even know if Cam missed him because honestly that was such a, a terrible route that I'm not even sure, like, if he had run the route properly, I, maybe it's an easier throw for Cam and, and it, you know, it, whatever. It was bad on Monday night, and it continues to, you know, be two steps forward. Or I would say one step forward, two steps back with this
0: player. Um, Monday night's film against uh the Bills might have been the worst wide receiver game I've watched all season in the NFL. And I don't mean to be hyperbolic. It was very bad. Uh, a few of the things that you touched on, I mean, there were a couple breaks. You, there was one play I put on Twitter. You can go look at it. It's a 15-yard curl. First of all, he's extremely slow in his stem despite going against off coverage. And it takes him six steps to slow down and get out of his break. Six steps. And then when he gets out of it, he doesn't even turn his body completely. He kind of like half turns back to the quarterback. And Cam got sacked from the backside on it. It was a play that Devin Nasiasi chipped and then got into the flat. He got sacked from the backside of it. And Cam wanted to a kill. He's like, oh, I have one-on-one off coverage. This is a 15-yard game. Easy if my receiver can get out of this break. So he's waiting, 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 not coming off of it because it's still one-on-one and it's a great read. So he doesn't want to come off the, the route. And he and the kill never gets get, gets into it, never gets into it. Uh, and even when he, by the time he got out of the break, it was like Campbell was on the ground for three seconds. And then there are a couple other plays that Keel Harry has f- free releases in the slot, and he's running slower than Jacoby Myers, who is a 3'40 guy. Myers gets open because he's he's quick out of route breaks. He has great on horizontal breaks. He understands leverage. He understands coverage. He can cross face and win on the inside uh, of defensive backs. And Harry is moving at the same speed as this guy who is a possession intermediate 10 yard gain move the sticks guy moving at the same speed as him, but he doesn't have any of those intangible route running techniques or anything. So it was like, where does this guy win? You just chuck it up high to him and, and hope that he's six three and come down with it. It's the only thing I'm seeing with him, you know, he's strong and box guys out. But as far as his technique goes, it was very bad. Um, as far as moving forward, you're looking at a second year receiver who averages less than 10 yards a catch. Who's, uh, completion percentage was targeted is less than 55 percent um he hasn't shown he can win consistently on um, using one aspect of receiver play yet throughout two years i just don't know where he fits and for a first round pick you would like to see him and do one thing well do one thing well on a consistent basis we can at least use that and then build your game around it and build you know build other aspects it kind of like in baseball if you have one tool if you have power now we can help you get contact and get faster and you can feel and everything like that. He doesn't have that. He's a zero tool tool player at the moment. So it's like we gotta build up something. And I just don't know what it's gonna be.
1: I think his tool is supposed to be contested catches, right? And he can do that decently well when he is targeted. His contested catch rate is around fifty five percent. He can do that, but I think the biggest problem is with what you see with the contested catches is that he's never open on any of the routes, so it's hard for the quarterback to to just trust it. Basically what they have to do or what they've been starting to do is run him on double moves so that he can create some separation on the outside to give the quarterback a window to throw the football into. You can't – 50-50 balls are not designed to be just – oh, he's getting blanketed by the coverage. I'm just going to throw a jump ball and have him, you know, go above the rim. That That's not always what's supposed to happen. You know, you watch a guy like a Des Bryant, who is somebody that Nikhil was compared to a lot coming out, and you see – an ability at the line of scrimmage is suddenness at the line of scrimmage to create that initial separation to get him himself up the field and explode up the field and get the defender on his back and that's when you can make those adjustments and you can come back to the ball and you can high point it and and you have the defender with his eyes uh you know on you instead of the quarterback he doesn't know where the ball is and and that's that's how you win down the field on those contested catches and the kill just doesn't often enough win at the line of scrimmage in order to make that happen. And then it gets off coverage, like you're mentioning. Uh, it's harder to throw it, obviously, on a jump ball versus off coverage. What they've done is because they know he can't get out of a break. So they have ran those, you know, little stuttering and goes and stuff like that to try to beat off coverage. That's worked a little bit, but basically that's the one route that's worked a little bit. Nothing else has really worked. They moved him inside. A, uh, I think that's sort of a start to something. And then, it ends up not being a start to something. I put that play up on twitter that first third down of the game. He's the uh the outside slot receiver running the vertical route on the dagger concept and he's just like you said he's running at the same speed as Jacoby Myers and he's just not testing the coverage down the field and it just it doesn't open anything up underneath them. you know the, the clear out does not clear anybody out because he's running it so slow uh, that that's a big problem in their offense right now I agree is that without that clear out route taking every, at least somebody vertically up the field everybody's just sitting on you know uh, Demir Bird's dig route and then the stick route at the at for Jacoby Myers underneath it is just everybody's all over it because Nikhil Harry's route is a non-threat. It's just a non-threat up the field. That that was a really disappointing performance because I thought he had looked a little bit faster. I thought that he looked a little bit more confident out there in the in the uh, weeks before that, but it didn't it didn't happen for him against Buffalo. That that was a, a disaster of a game.
0: It, it, like you said, I think there were flashes against the Rams. He hit that stutter and go. He high-pointed the ball. He hit, ran another stutter and go. It should have been pass interference. It went uncalled. But there were those, like, two flashes where it's like, you know, maybe this could be something to build on. They didn't go back to it. And like you said, he just doesn't have the speed. He ran 4-5-2 at, at the NFL Combine, which is fast enough for a receiver of his size. You would think that defense is saying this guy is six three two twenty. 220, Runs four, five, low four fives. He should be a vertical threat. Let's, you know, we have to game plan for that, but they're not respecting it. And like you said, it's affecting the intermediate and underneath concepts of the offense because he's not a a threat vertically. The guy who in the NFL right now, who really I think is Nikhil Harry's best case scenario right now is Mike Williams of the Chargers because he is another low four, five guy, big, big body, but his contested catch uh, ability is just out of this world, but it's also high points. It's when a guy's on his hip, it's along the boundary, it's it's getting horizontal. His catch raise is just so expanded that defenses have to respect it. And then they're now pushing vertical on him and allowing Keenan Allen to get underneath. Maybe that could be what the Patriots have with Harry and Myers. On a, maybe a slightly smaller scale, but it has to come from Nikhil Harry winning more consistently, at least gaining enough separation, learning how to use his hands to create separation late in the catch process. Small things like that, that Mike Williams does that Nikhil Harry has to, has to adopt and, and, and put on tape to get defenses to now respect his ability to get vertical and still be able to win when they're, when they're, you know, respecting your ability down the field.
1: Yeah, there was also that play at the uh towards the end of the game with Jared at quarterback where Javius White broke up that pass and you just see Nikhil Harry's route just uh it was a little in cut and he just drifts it, you know. Three or four yards up the field from where it's supposed to be. And Davis White almost picked that one off too. And I, at first I was going to be, you know, blame Jared Sidham for even throwing the football. And then I watched it again. And I was like, this is just a terrible route. You know, this is, this is just a route that doesn't give the quarterback any chance. If he can cross face there, then maybe, you know, that's a much better throw where the ball is placed. But it just, it had no chance because anytime that they asked Nikhil Harry, and I think a lot of the things that I've posted on Twitter of Nikhil getting open are routes that do not take very much break you know it's a vertical route it's a double move it's a seam it's a it's a you know some sort of stretch feel you know stretching the field vertically type of route and you're not getting into those quick breaks at the top of the route where you need to do any of that sort of stuff because he is just currently not capable of doing it so it's a it's been disappointing to see. We obviously know that they missed on the pick compared to the other guys that they could have had in that position. We don't need to revisit that conversation. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, Brad likes to put the DK Metcalf jersey right below the Patriots flag just to be like, I told you so. I told you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't have to revisit that every single time we talk about Nikhil Harry, but I would just I wish that he had built on some of the things that we were seeing against the Rams against the Chargers cuz it looked like he was at least finding a way to just be somewhat uh you know serviceable out there uh, finding a way to be somewhat of a of a role player in this offense uh using his body using his size it just it just didn't happen and even if he catches those passes, you know, there's that one where the pressure came, Dalton Keene lost in pass protection. He was open on like a, a slant or a dig route. Okay. And it's a 12 yard catch. Maybe the one before the half is like a 15 yard catch at best. And you're and we're talking about, Two catches for forty yards. We're not talking about you know six catches for one ten, right? And that that's the thing is that we can we can talk about those places where he does win, uh, but it's just not happening anywhere nearly uh, consistent enough. All right. We talked about a lot of names uh, in the show. I, I did leave some of the names off because we uh, we ran long per usual. Um, we'll have Brad on again very, very soon to break down a, the rest of this list. I think of most of these guys, Sonny Michelle, Isaiah Wynn, Chase Winovich, I think those three players are going to be around for a little while longer, not a situation where they're going to cut them or anything like that. Jawan Williams – that one I'm not so sure about. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Bill Belichick's comments yesterday were very telling. You know, Juwan's role will be up to Juwan. Kind of sounds like Juwan Williams uh, is not doing what he needs to do behind the scenes uh, to carve out a bigger role. So that's everything you sort of need to know there from the head coach. Brad, we are going to be doing our draft stuff together. Please tell everybody where they can follow you and uh, where they can uh, read your stuff and all that kind of stuff as well.
0: Uh, so it's at Brad Kelly17 on Twitter, K-E-L-L-Y, uh, right for a few different websites, pretty much all of them are self, um, starters, uh, on, on my own. Um, they're all, all on my Twitter page. You can see them in, in my Twitter bio and I also run a YouTube channel. I do a ton of draft NFL draft stuff, audio breakdowns, film, uh, type of, all that type of stuff. And a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that I've done recently is potential Patriot. Uh, targets guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Kyle Pitts, um, you know, receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, all the top quarterbacks. So you can see a lot of, learn a lot about their skill set because hopefully one of them is a future Patriot.
1: That would be nice. I, I, I would definitely love to see the Patriots actually recognize the fact that they, that they are so lacking in pass catchers in the pass catching department that they actually go out there and, and get a legitimate Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell type of guy, uh, because... It's just clear as day when you watch football, and and they played on Monday night this past week, so I watched all the games on Thursday and Friday and Sunday and Saturday or whatever the schedule was, I I forget. And you just watch across the league how much more explosive and more threatening and just better all of these receivers are on these other teams. And you just scratch your head and you're like, how do the Patriots not have at least one of these guys on their roster? You know, it's really kind of remarkable, not just looking at the draft misses and stuff like that, but just remarkable they haven't just stumbled in to one of these guys, you know, a Tim Patrick, for example. Like, how, how did they not just kind of find one of those dudes? And maybe Jacoby Myers is sort of the guy that they did find. Uh, but I'm just talking about somebody that can actually threaten the defense down the field uh, not, you know, as like a possession intermediate guy. Well, it's watching the
0: box was like – was. It felt great to see Brady and Gronk on the same page, but at the same time, it's like Mike Evans is making plays. Chris Galwin's making plays. Antonio Brown's making plays. Gronk is making plays. Their running game is making plays. It's like like literally just give, give the Patriots one of these guys. Not even Tom, but like one of the weapons. They don't have – like they, they have – the, the Bucs have four – like their fifth best weapon would be the Patriots' number one top guy.
1: And right, That just
0: can't happen on an NFL team where, where teams have four to five weapons better than your best one. You're never going to be able to score with them.
1: Right, I, I watched that, uh, Vikings-Bucks game a few weeks ago, and I was like, if you were gonna draft these two teams, wide receivers in the Patriots, those three teams, how many receivers do you go through on the Bucks and the Vikings before you get to the first Patriots guy? Like, eight, nine, so, so, something like that? I mean, it was in, you know, one side of the field, you got Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. On the other side, you got Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk, and I'm just like, oh my god, like, this is like a different game compared to- what Oh, you Rudolph.
0: Yeah. Smith, right. Antonio Brown. And...
1: Yeah. Scotty Miller, maybe even. No. <laughs> Scotty Miller. It, it's, it's bad. it's bad. It's bad. And it's, it makes us sad. And in case anybody can't tell. And on clnsmedia.com, I will have a Patriots game plan this week. I don't even know what I'm going to write yet. I don't know what I'm going to write about this game. It's going to be basically a preseason game, but I think even worse than a preseason game because there's really no no one's fighting necessarily for a job, I don't think, in this game or anything like that. I don't think the Patriots and their coaching staff are going to put too much stock into this game in terms of evaluations and things like that. So this one is a true – it's a true meaningless game. And and, and that's hard to say for an NFL regular season game, but that's exactly where we're at. It's truly – meaningless and I don't even think we can take much away from an evaluation standpoint from anything that happens on Sunday and the Patriots it looks like are going to rest a whole lot of their veteran players as well I would not expect that we're going to see David Andrews or Shaq Mason or Devin McCordy in this game and it's this is going to be a true kind of let's get out of here and, and let's let's end the season and, and finish this off so I'll be there on Sunday. Hopefully, something exciting happens that we can uh, talk about. Maybe something like Jared Stidham playing a little bit more at least gives us some sort of conversation to have. I'm not really sure. Maybe some of the one of the younger players has a big game or something like that, and we can get into all of that. As I mentioned, Brad will be back with us very shortly. Uh, Brad, I got approved uh, to cover the Senior Bowl virtually, so that's exciting. So we'll do a lot of Senior Bowl coverage here on the podcast as well. There's a bunch of names this year. I, I going down to mobile with such a shortened college football season. I think that's going to be a really jam packed roster this year. So that will be really exciting. And, uh, it's draft time, which makes me happy. Uh, I think the Patriots are the first time. And, uh, a long, long time, are going to have a very high-priced asset in their first-round pick. Hopefully, it's higher with another loss on Sunday. We get into that 10 or 11 range would be really nice, and Brad and I will be there to break down every single prospect, every single quarterback, every single wide receiver that you can possibly think of that New England will be interested in in April, and we'll also talk some free agency and do that stuff as well as the offseason progresses. But until then, signing off for my guest, Brad Kelly, I'm Evan